We are restarting our little series in the start of Revelation tonight. Uh, so last month we did the four spiritual resolutions uh, and now we're going back into Revelation. Now, can you remember the reason why we're looking at these chapters, Revelation 1, 2, 3? Uh, here is a man of God, John, in lockdown on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he's in exile because of persecution. He can't join physically with his congregation in Ephesus. And you would have thought uh, that he would have been in a state because of that. But what we find actually is that he's greatly blessed in these straitened circumstances because on the Lord's day, he's in the spirit and has a vision of the risen Christ. And that's how we first looked at this part. Uh, before the summer, we looked at the vision. And what a glorious vision it is. It's in chapter one. And then we noted, this was before Christmas, that this vision of Christ that John had wasn't just something personal, but something corporate. We are not saved as isolated Christians, but we're part of the people of God. And that's what we've been looking at uh, in the first chapter uh, before Christmas, the end of last year. And now, still thinking of this corporate nature of the church, we're going to look at the seven letters that Jesus Christ writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So one of them, Ephesus, is the church where John is pastor. I'm sure John's heart missed a beat uh, when Jesus mentioned the letter to the church at Ephesus. The other churches, they've already been mentioned in verse 11 of chapter 1, are Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They're all in the west of Turkey. Uh, so this is what we're going to start looking at tonight. All I want to do tonight to lead us to the communion is give an overview to these seven letters and they are found in Revelation 2 and 3. And then, God willing, next Sunday, we'll start looking at the first letter, the letter to the church at Ephesus. So, Jesus Christ is the one walking amongst the lampstands. Remember that? The lampstands are the churches. And he is the one who holds the stars in his right hand, the stars are the pastors of the churches. And he writes these letters through John to the angel of each church. The angel is not the guardian angel of the churches, but the messenger. And that, again, is the preacher, the pastor of the church. It's a very responsible position to be a pastor. Uh, and uh, I want to make three statements tonight about these letters. Three things. The first is I want you to notice the beautiful symmetry 
in these letters. Now, I read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, because there in the Old Testament, God made a covenant. A covenant is a solemn agreement, uh, like a marriage covenant with his people. And these letters are beautiful because they are like a covenant. Now then, I want you to look at the number of the letters. How many are there? Seven. What's the significance of that? You should all know the answer. Seven in the Bible is a complete number. So there's a symmetry here. They are perfect. And then I want to read, I'll just read the first letter, the one to the church at Ephesus, and I want you to count the number of things in this letter as I'm reading through it. To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write... These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And, you'd have, and you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Did you see, before I ask how many things were in that letter, did you see the parallels between that letter, that covenant statement between God and his New Testament church and the reading we had? There are promises. If you obey, then you will be blessed. But there are also, uh, I don't want to use the word threats, but warnings. If you don't repent, I will remove the lampstand. That's a very serious thing, isn't it? But did you notice how many characteristics there were in that letter? It's an easy answer. Seven. In all the letters we can note seven characteristics. Let me just show you uh, from what I just read what I mean by that. The first thing is there's an address to the angel of the church, the pastor. The second is there's a reference to one of the attributes of Christ that was seen in the vision in chapter one. So for the church at Ephesus, it's he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden can candlestick. And then thirdly, there's a word of praise from Christ. Apart from the church in Laodicea, they don't have a word of praise. Then there's a word of criticism for Christ. That's number four, except the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. Then there's a word of warning from Christ. Remember, therefore, verse five, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. Then there's a word of exhortation from Christ. 
this is number six. Uh, he uh, commends them uh, for dealing with the Nicolaitans. And then there's a word of promise from Christ. He who has an ear, let him hear to him who overcomes, etc. Seven characteristics. Perfect symmetry. A covenant between Christ and his people. This solemn agreement. We're still on the first point. I want you to notice the mix of characteristics now in the letters, right? There is praise. There is nothing wrong with praising people where it's due. You will find Paul in his epistles uh, giving thanks for certain members of the church. There is nothing unspiritual about doing that. But as well as encouragement and praise, there are warnings and rebukes. Now, I find that balance very significant. All I'm doing here is opening up the text, right? You've got... At the start of the letter, a positive encouragement. You've got at the end of the letter, a word of encouragement. And then the warnings are sandwiched in between. I think the Lord Jesus is teaching us there how to help one another. Uh, I don't know what your favourite... Sandwich, you know, when you go to these deli places, um, I do uh, enjoy the New York, I can never say the word, pasparatis or something, where you have beef uh, with uh, horseradish in the middle, very hot. And then that's in between uh, the uh, sandwich or the bun. And so the uh, hot uh, spicy uh, horseradish is uh, sandwiched in between uh, the more mild ingredients. And it's like that, isn't it? When we uh, help one another, there is no such thing as a perfect church. If you find the perfect church, you better leave it because you'll make it imperfect. There's no such thing as the perfect pastor. There's no such thing as perfect members. We're all in this together. And what does Proverbs say? And we can apply this to Jesus Christ, the friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus Christ here, the friend of sinners, the true friend of these churches is not flattering them and he's not condemning them. Those are the two extremes we've got to be careful of. Uh, either uh, you will have, not just pastors now, but uh, any church member, they're above criticism. They never do anything wrong. That's not right. That's not real. Or you'll have uh, people who are always being criticized for everything. And anything. Now, those two extremes are unbiblical. Faithful 
are the wounds of a friend. So when we love one another, just as Jesus Christ loves us as his people, we will seek to encourage one another. Think of the sandwich. But then we will seek to help one another. And maybe uh, there does have to be uh, a word, a gentle word of warning there. I do find the beautiful symmetry here quite amazing. Now, let me uh, give you uh, another scripture which helps here. A very well-known word, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. You know this, don't you? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is how Jesus speaks to us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine so the positive, for reproof, the negative, for correction, that's both positive and negative, for instruction in righteousness, positive, that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God may be complete. Do you want to be a complete Christian, a balanced Christian, a symmetrical Christian? Then that is the way. So th that's my first point. Let me give you an illustration in Bible college, we had um, Graham Harrison lecture us, and he gave us this example from his own experience about uh, trying to help a brother in his congregation. Uh, there was somebody who prayed in the prayer meeting, but he didn't just pray once, he prayed about three, four, or five times in the same meeting now, right? So Mr. Harrison had to try and deal with this brother, and this is what he said to him. This is the sandwich now of encouragements, just with the notes of uh, criticism, constructive criticism. He said, brother, I was really blessed when you prayed. But when you prayed the second, third, fourth, fifth time, <laughs> I wasn't blessed as much. Is it, isn't that good? That, that's a way of doing it. Uh, let me give you an illustration from nature. This is what one person said. Criticism, thinking of Jesus' words here to the churches, like rain, should be gentle enough to nourish our growth without destroying our roots. That's good. We've had some heavy showers recently, haven't we? And they've damaged, they've damaged the crops. The gentle drizzle, it nourishes it nourishes it so that's the first point the symmetry the symmetry and then the second thing I want to say about these letters and it's not just the letter to the church at Ephesus it's all the letters there's one phrase repeated verse 2 I know your works verse 9 I know your works verse 13 I know your works. Verse 19, do you know what that says? I know your works. Verse 1 of chapter 3, I know your works. Verse 8 of the same chapter and verse 15 of the same chapter. I know your works. My brothers and sisters, Christ and Christ alone is the head of the church. 
whether we're thinking of these seven churches 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor, or whether we're thinking of the churches in our country 2,000 years later today. There is only one head, and it's the same head, the ever-living Saviour. So, it's not what you or I think about the church that ultimately matters. Now, don't get me wrong, there, there is nothing unwholesome about having our views, but what we need is to be in tune with what the head has to say. Don't you agree? It makes common sense, doesn't it? So how can you rightly evaluate a church? Here is Jesus Christ doing it. You see, it's not even John as the pastor of the church at Ephesus who is trying to evaluate their spiritual condition. He can't do that, really. The only one who can give a fair and a spiritual evaluation is the head, Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important to us in our day and age. There was an article in the Times newspaper yesterday, I don't know if you read it, about the Church of England, uh, a number of churches going down the road of business management. Uh, How parish priests now are being overlooked and they're bringing in uh, consultants Uh, who uh, give performance reviews and try to uh, give uh, five-year plans of the way ahead. But this is the problem. The church is a spiritual body. How can you evaluate something spiritual with the methods of the world? You you can't. You can't. Now, we're well-blessed here, aren't we? I'm so grateful when our treasurer in church council reports on our finances, it's a sign of a sacrificing membership of a healthy church to have a good financial balance sheet. It's a sign of health to have people who are hardworking. It's a sign of health even in lockdown to have a goodly number like this in our services. But what did God say to Samuel when he went to anoint David. Remember? Samuel, even Samuel, a man of God that he was, judged outwardly. He thought God's anointed was bound to be one of the other sons of David because they looked the parts. But that wasn't God's idea. God had David in mind. And none of them thought that. And this is what God said to Samuel. Well-known words. Do not look at his appearance. Do not look at what a church looks like on paper. Do not. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart's. I know your works, says Jesus Christ. I can't. We as an eldership can't. Only the head 
of the church ultimately knows. Uh, here's a quotation from Warren Wearsby. Uh, a number of us uh, helped by Warren Wearsby's commentaries. If you want a very down-to-earth commentary that opens the word, I can thoroughly recommend uh, anything by Warren Wearsby. Only the head of the church, Jesus Christ, can accurately inspect each church and know its true condition because he sees the internals, not only the externals. In these messages in the seven letters, the Lord gives each church an x-ray of its condition, but he intends for all the churches to read these messages, all the churches, including our church. If Jesus Christ was to give this church a spiritual x-ray, what would he see? That, that's what we're trying to ask. I couldn't find this, right? But I did read it many years ago. There was a meeting of the Calvinistic Methodists. We came out of them. And they, they had this meeting and there were disagreements in the meeting. And one godly person, after people had talked for ages, <laughs> one godly person got up and said, now then, we've talked enough among ourselves. Let us seek the Lord's mind on this. I know, says the Lord, your works. There's a hymn we often sing, Breathe on me. Do you know it's off by heart? Breathe on me. Breath of God, that's the Spirit. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. The Lord's mind, being in tune with the Lord. Now then, let's just develop this a bit. The church isn't a business, right? It's a body, a body. We've already mentioned a covenant, a marriage relationship. Well, think of the church as the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, Howell preached a few Sundays ago from Colossians 1. This is the most famous statement about this. Jesus is the head of the church. This is the second point, uh, the one we're still in. And this is how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, verse 18. And he's the head of the body. The body, the church. And then if you look at Ephesians 1, this is developed, verses 22 and 23. And he, Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. All things are under the headship of Jesus Christ in the church. And then Ephesians 4, uh, verses 15 and 16 uh, Speaking the truth in love, that's the symmetry, uh, the, the balance. Speaking the truth, yes, but in love. We may grow in all things, but it's not just some nebulous growth. We may grow into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working for which every part 
does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The head, the head, nourishing the body. There is no body without the head. So Christ is the head of the church. What Christ thinks. Do you enjoy opera? I prefer German operas to Italian operas. But the great Italian composer Verdi, when he started off as a composer, uh, this was 19th century now, uh, he performed his first opera in Florence. And during the performance, Verdi was standing in the shadows, not looking at anybody. He was only looking at one person. Do you know who he was looking at? Rossini an older composer. What Verdi wanted was Rossini's approval. There's a greater than Rossini in this place. There is Jesus Christ. Don't you just want his approval? As a church member now, we're all in the church together. Oh, how it transforms our work as members when we're doing it, eyeing Jesus Christ, the head. Don't you long to hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servants. Even the small things you are doing, behind the scenes maybe, I know your works. Then thirdly and finally, there's another statement that's repeated seven times in these chapters. Do you know what it is? He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You've got it there for the church in Ephesus in verse 7 of chapter 2. I'm not going to give you all the other verses, right? But it is mentioned in every letter. What's this? Note first the plural. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, not to the church, but to the churches. So not just the seven churches, what Jesus is saying to the seven churches is applicable to the churches all over the world when John was writing and the churches that have existed since. But note the singular as well. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear. Each church, in terms of its qualities, is only as good as each individual member. When we're talking about the state of the church, the spiritual condition of the church, which Christ alone is able to diagnose, we're not thinking of some group. We're thinking of individual Christians, you and me. As our spiritual state, so is the state of the church. So what do we do? If Christ is the head, the one who alone can give the right evaluation, what do we do? We listen. Have you got ears? Of course I've got ears. 
That's insulting for John to say that. Well, what John is saying, as Jesus said as well in the Gospels, if you've got ears, use them. I think, you see, Jesus Christ and John had a sense of humor. If you've got ears, spiritual ears, use them. And if Jesus is the head and we are members of the body, do you know what happens if there's a blockage in the blood supply between a limb, say, and the brain? That, that causes a stroke. And because there's no flow of blood then from the head to that part of the body, that member of the body, that member becomes useless. And that can happen in the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. We can get all uh, busy. We, we can get all into uh, doing things. But we're forgetting to keep in touch with the head. And there's no longer spiritual life pouring into the limbs, the members of the church. The two things that come from the head are instruction and life. That's what the word of God gives us. It's, yes, truth, but it's truth through the Spirit to give life. That's why man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When we don't listen to Christ in his word, we die spiritually. So then, as I'm winding down, we're COVID aware. If I want to be healthy as a Christian and we as a church, we've got to say what Samuel said. We sang it. Master, speak. For thy servant heareth. When we have our quiet time, I know we don't call it quiet time anymore, but I can't think of any other word to describe it. When we feed our souls in the word, we don't just read it in order to get through the reading for the day. We pray, Lord, speak to me. Lord, show me something about yourself. Show me what you want me to do. do. Do you pray before you read the word? It only has to be a short prayer. Something of Jesus Christ. And if you're, say, reading the chapter allotted for that day, even if in the first verse it stands out, Stop. Don't read any further. It's God. And meditate on that. Chew over it. And when we come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day like this, we are not coming just to be taught. Of course, the preacher is here to teach. And we're definitely not coming to hear our favorite preacher. We're coming to hear the Lord speak to us. If you come with that attitude, if I come with that attitude, it transforms our services. What has the Lord got to say to me? I don't know if they still do this, but it used to be the case in the Welsh Conference of the Evangelical Movement of Wales, and I mean the Welsh-speaking conference, that the person chairing would try and discern 
in all the meetings, and they would have many preaching meetings during the week, they would try and discern what is the Lord saying to us? What is the Lord's message? Oh, let me hear thee speaking in accents clear and still above the storms of passion, the murmurs of self-will. Oh, speak to reassure me, to hasten or control. Oh, speak and make me listen, thou guardian of my soul. I started, and I'll finish with this. These letters are a covenant. We are to be married to Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom. The church is his bride. And these encouragements and criticisms are the words of one who loves his bride. And when, when we don't hear the words of our Savior, we're sinning against love, you know? That's the worst thing, isn't it? To sin against love. We're going to come to the communion. And the communion is the supper of the new covenant. The communion isn't just remembering what is past, but it's looking forward to that wedding reception, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we are going to drink the wine. And Jesus has said, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. Do you realize, Christian, do we see as a church, we're not just an organization. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And we are married to him. And our names have been written, not with the indelible ink that we write the marriage registers in this church with, because even though they say it's indelible, it will not last forever. But our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life with the blood of Jesus Christ. And eternity will not erase them. And if we're joined in such covenant love, shouldn't we give heed to what he is saying by his spirits to us as his bride? Christ's people, says one commentator, need to hear Christ's voice. The tendency is for our own ideas about the church to veer in a selfish or worldly direction, unless we are constantly under the correction of our sovereign Lord. The commentator goes on to say, you see, you may think as I'm closing, this is what's uppermost in my mind as we're going to be going through these seven letters. Yes, Jesus is writing to Ephesus and these other churches. What would Jesus write about Heath? church what would our glorious bridegroom our head have to say i don't know you don't know but if we humble ourselves and seek his mind and as we sit under this little series who knows whether the head himself will give a true evaluation. The commentator goes on to say, you know, you think, if only Christ was here with us, 
Hang on, he is. Where two or three are gathered, yes, you're right. Where two or three are gathered in his name, I am presence. He who walked among the lampstands 2,000 years ago among the churches of Asia Minor is walking among the lampstands of the churches in Wales. And he who praised these churches, and they were weak, they were under persecution, is praising his feeble, uh, scattered people today. But he who warned those churches in Asia Minor is going to be warning his churches in Wales. And if you won't give heed to his warnings, just look at modern-day Turkey and look at the dearth of churches that are there today. So to close, the Christ who speaks in these chapters continues to stand in the midst of his lampstands, continues to reign as the sovereign of his churches and continues to hold the pastors, the stars of the churches in his hand because the exalted Christ continues to proclaim his priorities to the church through these seven messages Christians should study Revelation 2 to 3 with special care and respond with reverent obedience. May the Lord help us in that way as we go through these seven letters. For his name's sake, amen. Far off I see the goal, O Saviour, guide me. And there's a verse here, keep my vision clear. That's what Christ can, can give us. Keep my vision clear. We'll stand and we'll sing from our hearts.
Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you, make us complete in every good work to do his will, working in you, in us, what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>